This podcast is brought to you from Grantwood AEA, an educational service agency that supports school districts in eastern Iowa with a focus on equity, excellence, and efficiency in education for all children. Welcome to episode 54 of the EdTech Takeout, the podcast that serves up bite-sized technology tips for teachers. My name's Jonathan Wiley, and I'm joined today by your friend and mine, <laughs> Mindy Carney. Hi! Season's greetings Seasons to you, Mindy. Season's greetings to you as well. I um, just had a Christmas cookie weekend with my family, and I talked about you. You did? Yeah. And uh-huh. I can't remember how the whole conversation got started. And I said something like, yeah, I work with this guy. He's from Scotland. And um, everybody would prefer to listen to him, even though we say the same things because of his accent. And my mom's like, oh, that's super annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I know, mommy. <laughs> I am annoying to work with. It's true. <laughs> so anyway, we I can't remember why we why, how you got brought up, but... Oh, somebody was talking about some guy's accent or something. I said, oh, I work with somebody with an accent. Everybody works with somebody with an accent. Right. I have a Midwestern accent. Right? Okay. I, I don't know. I I don't know either. Is there a Midwestern a accent? Thing? I, know, I think we're the only people without be. an accent, right? Maybe. Isn't that a thing? I don't know. Anyway, should we actually get to work? I'm here? sure that's what people came here yeah, for. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. All right. You've got some news and follow-up. What's up here? Okay, so I got a few things. First is just kind of like a PSA because we're coming to the end of the year. Right. And I don't know if you know this or not, but earlier in the year, Apple kind of got, got in trouble. Yeah, they got into trouble for mm-hmm. doing some things to the software that people didn't think they should be doing. Right. And as part of the compensation for that, they um, said, okay, you guys can all have cheap battery replacements right. for the whole year. Yeah. And that year ends on December 31st, 2018. Oh, okay. So if you have an iPhone, I believe it's 6S or later, mm-hmm. then you can get a battery replacement for your phone, whether you need it or not, for the low, low cost of $29. If you take it into an Apple store, or if you take it... If you're lucky enough to have an Apple store by you. Yes, right? and if you're not, yeah. you, there are Apple-authorized retailers that will repair it. For example, we have one here in Cedar Rapids. Did you know that? I don't know that I did. Mac HQ is our... Oh, I know where that's at. Yeah? Yeah. Um, So you may have an Apple authorized person. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't even have one of those, you can send it in the mail off to Apple. Your phone? Yes. You go without your phone while they replace the battery? You know, I'm thinking more about like those phones that you have in a drawer that you, maybe your oh. kids are using or oh, something like that. Yeah. Then you could just replace those pretty cheap. Yeah. Hmm. And okay. so if you're ever wondering, you know, does my battery need replaced or not? You can go to settings, mm-hmm. battery, and then battery health. And it will give you like a little percentage number oh. that will say how much of your battery health is remaining now that starts at 100 percent when you get a new phone and obviously over time as you charge your phone and do all the stuff that you do with phones that goes down so mindy's in her phone right now checking it up i'm at 86 percent. 86 yeah okay well my phone makes it all day yeah yeah i don't have any problems with that okay yeah interesting good to know Mm -hmm. okay uh something else i saw on twitter is the soundtrack academy now, all right. We have talked about Soundtrack we before, have. yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, we have a mutual friend and yeah. that works at Soundtrap. 
And um, so Soundtrap Academy is something that teachers can go there to get certified mm -hmm. in the same way that you become like a Google educator or an, oh, I didn't know that. an Apple teacher oh. or that kind of thing. They have a couple of courses you can take. Uh, one is the Certified Soundtrap Educator. Okay. Where you can get started with Soundtrap for Education, inspire your students to be creative and collaborative anytime. So it basically teaches you about the platform, yeah. how to use it as a teacher, and you go through this little course, which is free, mm -hmm. and you can become a Certified Soundtrap Educator. They also have one called the Certified Soundtrap Expert. Oh. <laughs> Sounds like a next, level, a next level one, level. doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it is the ultimate guide to create and record music in Soundtrap. If you take this course, you get one month of Soundtrap Premium for free. Oh. I think um, if you're within the... Is this an Iowa thing or just a Grant Wood thing where you can purchase Soundtrap as a bundle, right, with Wii Video? Is that still a thing? Do we still have that? I don't know if we still have that, but yeah, that was a thing was for a, a while. Thing, yeah. Yes. Mm. Um, I know people that use it really like it a lot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, people do like it for sure. I always feel like that's one thing that I need to know more about with Soundtrap, but because it's kind of a paid service. I mean, add that to my list of things, to, my growing list of things I need to catch up on. Sure. There you go. So um, I saw that you ran across Workbench. I was not familiar with Workbench yeah. before. Were you familiar with Workbench? Yeah, I met the Workbench guys when we went to South by Southwest a couple of years ago. It's I'm a great team of people. And they just got acquired by Google. Yeah, I saw that. That's exciting. So I didn't know much about it. So yeah. I asked the you know my my favorite person on the team, Corey Rogers. Yeah. To um, oh wait what what oh continue. So I talked to Corey Rogers about this, and she explained it all to me. I mean, I didn't oh. know who else would know about this yeah. really, so I right. went straight to Corey. Right, you know, sure. As you do. Yeah, right. So um, with the so Workbench was a paid service before. Right. So now is it free? I think there is a free part and there is still a premium Which was part the case before, too. too I think. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if it's yet one of those cases where Google buys it and makes everything free. Yeah. Maybe it will come to that. But um, it looks kind of like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but mm -hmm. uh, like will. the Tickle app for iPad. Sure. And which let you connect all those devices yeah. and code them yeah. and things. And you can do that, but on the web. So yeah. I could see Google being interested because you can do that on Chromebooks. Yeah. So um, what I remember when we met them, and this kind of was mind-blowing to me at the time, was that I think, I think it was, they had smashed Makey Makey and Sphero together mm -hmm. and created a floorboard for you to drive the Sphero with. And so they put the Sphero in like a cardboard maze or whatever. And then you had um, kind of like a Dance Dance Revolution mat. You know, oh, and really? that's how you drove it was by stepping on arrows. And my mind was kind of blown about being able to smash those two things together. And I think it was a Mickey Mickey. I mean, that would make sense. It could have been something else, I suppose, too, but it's super yeah. interesting. They partner with um, all kinds of people like Mickey Mickey, Sphero, Little Bits, Parrot, yeah. Microbit, mm -hmm. Circuit Scribe, and all kinds Circuit of other Scribe. things. I wonder what they're doing with Circuit Scribe. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. And they also have like uh, lesson plans for teachers on here where yes, right. teachers share like how to do digital storytelling right. with coding mm -hmm. and they share that on the platform for other teachers to go in and look yeah. and find ideas. Yeah. So. You should definitely go and explore that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe next time I find something that I don't know much about, I'll, I'll come and ask you about it first. No, that's fine. I get it. It's fine. Just go to Corey? Just go to Corey. Yeah.
All right. So up next is the main course served to you piping hot. It's aim for all. We have a special guest here with us today, Maggie Pickett. So Maggie is a new member to our team. And I'll maybe just let you introduce yourself a little bit about maybe your background. And um, I mean, you're here to talk about aim, too. So maybe how how that all came to be our AIM expert. It's kind of a weird background. I'm Maggie Pickett. I'm a um, digital learning consultant here at Grantwood AEA. Um, Prior to that, I was the AIM coordinator in the Cedar Rapids Community School District. And prior to that, I was the AIM coordinator at the Iowa Department of Education. Um, And prior to that, (laughs) I was a certified speech language pathologist um, serving school school districts here in our local area. Um, And I started getting into accessibility um, as an SLP, supporting um, students with complex communication needs, and also supporting students with reading and writing difficulties. Um, And I started realizing that um, these types of supports could benefit a whole host of students, not Mm -hmm. just those being served on on IEPs. So um, that's kind of started my my travel and my varied background. Yeah, so I mean, I think a lot, a large part of the work we do at Grant Wood is based around serving needs of special educational needs kids. Um, it's not something Mindy and I do on a regular basis, basis, on a right? regular day to basis, but we do um, meet with special education teachers, and mm-hmm. uh, Maggie's really helped. And I think we've talked about this in previous episodes. Maggie's really helped bring that extra yeah. focus and lens right. to the work that we do. So we are excited to have her on the show. Mm-hmm. So if we have previously talked a little bit about assistive technology, but mm-hmm. we've used the word AIM now, but there's A-E-M and A-I-M, yeah. and they're both pronounced the same way. AIM. Yeah. AIM. Do you want to tell us the difference between the two or a yeah. little bit about that? Yeah. So that's been a shift um, recently. So um, A-I-M are the Accessible Instructional Materials is what it stands for, and AEM are Accessible Educational Materials. And really the only difference um, is that um, Accessible Educational Materials is a more robust definition. It includes not only print text, but also um, digital content. So moving beyond just a textbook on a computer, but into websites and um videos and making sure that all content is accessible. So any content that we present to a student um, is considered um, learning materials or instructional materials. And so ensuring that those are accessible is um, would make it accessible educational right. materials. Yeah. And so I think as, as we've started to wade in a little bit deeper on this, I mean, I think there's some things that maybe certain teachers may be less aware of and one of those things I think is like the the legal implications around around that and what we are obligated to be supplying for our students so can you talk to any of that I know you're not a lawyer or anything but you've been part of an SLP and a specialized background background you must have that kind of uh you know, legal knowledge. Absolutely. So you guys kind of talked a little bit earlier about um, not necessarily serving um, students on IEPs every day, mm-hmm. but in fact you do. And in, in special education, we speak to this notion of um, um, special education students are general education students first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And so they're just part of that all educational system. Um, and so the the parts that sometimes we forget about is is access to core instruction, um, and this, you know, the legalities of, of accessible educational materials stem back to um, almost the, the turn of the, the 19th into the 20th century. We had, um, you know, men coming back from World War One 
who were blind, mm-hmm. blinded, and um, who used to be able to read, and then were unable to read, and started realizing that we needed to provide legal options for these folks to mm. um, get access to books, and so that they can go and 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 work. Mm-hmm. And so um, it started that in the legal components, um, and then it became part of. Um, Americans with Disabilities Act, and then that led into Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, and that's kind of where we are today. Mm-hmm. And so um, in the early 2000s is actually when we started kind of, in education, started really thinking about the content that we were putting in front of our students and ensuring that it is accessible. Mm-hmm. So. Um, we as educators sometimes forget about some of those legal components, and that's not where we need to start the conversation. Unfortunately, that's where the conversation leads to if students aren't getting what they need to be successful. I didn't know the history behind that. That's a that um, that's very intriguing to me because it's interesting that <clears throat> that movement takes place after it was more about people who originally had that and realized what they were missing out on. Don't you think that's interesting? Like, that's what made the movement happen was because it took someone who had lived in both worlds. Absolutely. And so when you um, kind of venture out into our school districts, you'll notice those students with visual difficulties, um, visual impairments or or blindness, you'll notice that they're getting their accessible materials very easily. Yeah, sure. Um, There's a really, really systemic process in place for those students. Mm -hmm. So now we think about those students with more... um, invisible disabilities, reading difficulties, those are the students that kind of fly under our radar as educators. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, recently, especially in the state of Iowa, we've been really focused on gathering data to help us inform how do we make sure that those students are getting what they need as well. Mm -hmm. And that's been tricky, but I think we've worked out a process to help Mm -hmm. us kind of figure out who, who, who are the folks who do need some of these supports. And is this the UPAR? Is this what we're talking about? The UPAR. This is just transition right into the UPAR. Absolutely. I don't know if you're planning on talking about it at all or I not. Did put but it in there. Okay. Um, I the the PAR or UPAR um, protocol for accommodations in reading um, is uh, a diagnostic tool. Is what I'll call it. It was developed by um, Denise DeCoast and Lisa Wilson um, from Maryland, um, and they. Uh, it's a it's it's a great tool. It allows us to look at a learner's reading abilities across different different settings. And so, um, the first one would be just an independent read. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one would be listening to um, a human reader, whether that's an adult human reader sitting right. next to them or a human reader um, reading on the computer. Um, and then the next one would be presenting them with digital text. And what this tool has been showing us in our local area is that even though students may not be able to decode at grade level, Mm -hmm. their ability to take in text and manipulate it and do something with it, answer questions, talk about it, engage with it, it doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. It's actually in, in a lot of these kids, we have data to show that given an alternate method, a different format of their text, they can be very successful in the classroom. It's kind of exciting. So I'm going to take this a totally different direction just because it popped in my mind. But um, is with the UPAR, it's all about reading, right? Is there something like that for math? Like I like dysgraphia pops into my head or stuff like that. Is there something like that right now 
There isn't for math. Yeah. Okay. There is for writing. Okay. And we actually kind of have one for um, organizational skills, too. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, we often hear teachers, especially, you know, general educators, it's really difficult to whatever you want to call it, differentiate, personalize mm-hmm. in the classroom. When you have a student who whose reading or writing ability is so varied from their peers, yeah. it's really hard to differentiate. Um, technology makes that easier. But sure. UPAR allows teachers to see kind of um, that students are able to when given, um, presented with alternate means. Um, but what it also does is it starts to tell them what type of means they need to be presenting and gathering. Oh, so it all goes back to instructional design and what your what materials you're gathering for your classroom. So I'm going to pick up on that technology piece then. And mm-hmm. I think we, we, we tiptoed around this uh, in one of our previous episodes on myth busting, but I think we have this idea that um, technology in, invariably makes things better. Uh, does technology make things better for kids in terms of access or or not what's your what's your stand on that maybe <laughs> it can make things better it can <laughs> yeah. if it's designed with accessibility standards in mind so yeah that myth buster um it, it is a myth that just because something is digital that makes it accessible um that couldn't be more um more of a myth um in fact we have you know there are websites and, and we go to websites all the time right where you just open a website and you're like this is awful. Yes. <laughs> the layout yeah, right. is bad. It's overwhelming with content, and you just can't find what you need. So, um, but when you go to and visit one of those websites, oftentimes it's not accessible for mm-hmm. you. Like it's not usable, yeah, right? right? Sure. You just want to. I'd rather walk away than to look at a website like that. Um, but f- for some of our students, that website design, the structure, the images that are presented on that website. Um, it may not be accessible to them. So mm-hmm. not they don't have the option to say, well, I'd rather not read it. They can't because right. of the structure. So um, they've actually, um, there are there are content standards or guidelines that are out there called Web Content Accessibility uh, Guidelines, WCAG. Um, and there's the second version. I think we're up to 2.1 now. But um, these standards kind of help us not only meet federal guidelines for accessibility, um, but they help us think about the content that we're putting out on the web Mm -hmm. um, for students or just anybody and making sure that it does have some structure to it so that it's not overwhelming us, um, but it's also accessible for those who need it to be. Kind of goes back to that notion of um, it's, you know, website accessibility is essential for some, but it's really kind of a benefit for everybody. So could you give like some specific examples of what that would look like in, in like different formats and how, you know, because I think we're, we're all on the same page here, but it doesn't take all that much sometimes to make something more accessible. And it's just knowing what to know, I guess. Absolutely. Um, so having having good structure, when you put together a Word document or Google Doc, having headings, having subheadings, um, making sure that um, when you're putting in lists, you've got some bullet to, bullet points to them, um, that there's good formatting. That alone can take a document from what seems or looks very visually disturbing and puts it some structure to it. So not only does it look nice for our eyes and it's visually appealing, but for someone who's using a screen reader, 
they can navigate through that. So um, they've got some hotkeys, some um, keys on their keyboard that allows them to navigate with, with one key control and so that they can easily navigate just like we do with our eyes. Um, another thing is like images, making sure that when you add an image to a document or slides, that there's al- alternate text, mm-hmm. um, text that describes the picture um, in its context. Um, what else? There are no- I number- put all text on an image today of a Bitmoji, and it says Mindy standing on a soapbox saying, Seesaw has blogs. <laughs> I feel like that should be the old text for most of your images. Mindy standing on a soapbox. I really, I I didn't know how to, like, I don't, I don't know. I thought if anyone's using a screen reader, I also want them to chuckle because it really is me standing on a soapbox. Everybody should appreciate your jokes, Mindy. I know. Do you 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 have a lot of soapboxes? I do have lots of soapboxes. (laughs) I thought, is this too much? Like, how much is too much? Is it perfect? Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, no. Yeah. Is ever <laughs> was it meant to chuckle? I mean, yeah, I hope so. The visual is yes. meant to get a chuckle. So yeah. absolutely, describe okay. it for a chuckle. I didn't know. Um, that's the cool thing about alt text is that um, it's meant to support whatever content you're putting out into the world. And so if your content is funny and exciting, um, you can you can change your text to kind of. Um, meet that same yeah I just didn't know mm-hmm. yeah why not absolutely so like on a Google Doc or a Google Slides and mm-hmm. things you can right click on an image and right. have alt text and usually if you're it's uploading down, right? yeah if you're uploading to like a website or WordPress or Google Sites things like yep. that there's an alt text image in there you can even do it on social media too yeah you can, Twitter yeah and you know I, I get this kind of pushback often well how many people with visual difficulties are or blindness are really reading my content. I don't know. I can't tell you that, but I can tell you that if it's the if it's good information and you want the broadest um, range of people to be able to access and learn from the work that you're doing in whatever context mm-hmm. you're doing it, mm-hmm. making it accessible is gonna is gonna be very supportive of of that goal and getting getting your message whatever it is out to the broadest range of people. Um, but like I said, not only is 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 it going to help um, for those folks, but it's also going to um, create a better looking document for for those of us who enjoy visually appealing docs. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think it's one of those things, like you said, yeah, visually appealing versus visually disturbing. Yeah, I like that. Like, that's great. Context. Visually disturbing. I Seriously, love that. I go into yeah. meetings, and do you ever like cringe? Like you open up an agenda, and oh you're God, like, oh, no. no. <laughs> Let me just clean this up for you real quick. Can, can I take a few minutes? <laughs> I think part of it is, and maybe we'll come to this later, that that idea of UDL where it's like it's it's something that can benefit everybody. Uh, it might be designed for like one particular group of people, but I'm, th- I'm looking at the next thing you had on the notes here, which was video and closed captions. And it kind of drives my wife crazy sometimes, but I, I will watch TV with closed captions on mm-hmm. quite a lot because I, I, I hear stuff that I, I, I miss something. I'm not hard of hearing necessarily, and maybe I am a little bit, but, um. but you know, background conversations and things that are happening and they're not really meant to be part of the plot, but you see that super clear in closed captions. You hear yeah. like the lyrics of music. And you, I don't know. I, I I get a lot out of watching with closed captions. But, Absolutely. And when my kids are in bed, then I can yeah. watch things that uh, may not be suitable for all audiences with closed captions on. Absolutely. Yeah. I kind of feel like it helps me a lot with, um, like, if I'm watching, let's say, Braveheart with a Scottish accent. Oh yeah. Uh huh. The closed captions running along the bottom. Like, oh, now I know what they're saying. You need closed captions sometimes. 
Jonathan needs Jonathan his own clothes. Jonathan needs his own clothes. Caption. I need like a T-shirt so with an Eros. iPad on it that just has like text-to-speech, speech-to-text running on it the whole time. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, we could make something like that. Um, Halloween. Yeah, I think yeah. we've got. Yeah. I think we've got our task. Google slides. Or maybe building bridges. Um, Sorry, got yeah. us a little bit off a tangent there. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. I think you're right. Um, universal design for learning is really kind of. Um, you know, the, 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 I think the way you kind of brought this topic up was aim for all. If we're really talking about aim and we're talking about accessibility and accessibility in the classroom, and that's, um, you know, the, the UDL framework, the UDL guidelines are really kind of, um, the the way that that is is brought to life in a classroom, um, it it's um, especially the multiple multiple means of representation that really speaks to aim is giving mm-hmm. choices for how kids can engage in content. Um, so it's not only just about making sure the content is accessible, but then also having options. So if you want to get this content from a video, go watch a video. Mm-hmm. If you do better reading a document go read this website if you do better um, listening to you know an audiobook like there are just different ways to get the same content and um, offering options like that kind of makes conversations and discussions more rich um, and it also gives voice and choice to students yeah and I think it I mean it fits in with like voice and choice for students like what you guys are doing with uh, blended and personalized learning I mean mm-hmm. a lot of that is trying to give kids choice in the type of things they're working at so they get to a station and they have a play a playlist or a choice board of things to work for and some kids are going to want to write a story other kids might want to draw the story other kids might want to you know do a flowchart or something of the story, but sure. different ways to access the material based on learning preferences. And what's amazing about that setting is that a student in that classroom who has to have aim, who has to have accessible materials, Doesn't stick out like a sore thumb. Absolutely, yeah, right. Like they're able to just be part of the class mm-hmm. and not feel like they're different again. Yeah, right. um, I, we hear that all the time. I don't, I don't want to use that computer because yeah. I'll look different. Sure. Um, and so as we start to kind of think about this the shift of instructional practices Absolutely. and personalizing learning for students um I, I hopefully that that kind of argument i don't want to use it mm-hmm. goes away yeah right and why would we want all of our students to feel like they have all of the tools necessary to enhance their learning i don't know mm-hmm. so this starts i guess being intentional in the in the planning process what kind of advice would you give for teachers that are thinking about that? This can be kind of daunting. Like, okay, so so Wiley and I were having this talk today and I put a video out on YouTube and I had to go back and edit all the captions because I wanted all of the periods and capital letters, right? Not just one long run-on sentence. Right. Besides the fact that I use also and so and okay a lot, apparently. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was a 10-minute video, which is longer than what we recommend for teachers, but it was a three-different-part tutorial. Anyway, I digress. So it took me 15, 20 minutes to go through it. So I said to Wiley, I'm like, I really want teachers to feel like this is something they can do, but how do we get it so that it doesn't take so much time on top of everything else that they're doing you know what I mean so I think that's a really good question he asks is where do they at least get started or how do you begin to feel like you're making because I don't think it's just like all in one day oh my gosh no so you know how do you start or what do you first to start thinking about well it it starts with mindset right I mean Mm -hmm. really um it kind of lives and lives and dies with a with a teacher with an educator that's willing to do what she or he needs to do um to to help and support 
all students. Most of us are there. Um, so let's move on. Um, the next thing is really kind of thinking about um, your content. Most likely, a lot of us have content we've been using for years, mm-hmm. decades even. Right. Um, and so making sure that as we're putting that back out in front of students, it might just be a two or three minute process to go in and put some structure to a document or go into some slides and just kind of make sure that there's some alt text. The other thing to think about is the students in your classroom. That's a big one. You have to know your audience, right? Mm-hmm. We talk about that a lot. Um, if you have students in your classroom who don't necessarily need alt text, then maybe this year you don't take the time when you're going back through that content to put the alt text in. That's a good point. Yeah. Maybe you're taking the time to get some headings, get some structure into your document. But that's not to say that next year or two years down the road, you won't have a student that needs that alt text. Mm-hmm. So being aware and knowledgeable about when that has to happen. Um, the other thing is um, reach out for help. There's a lot Um, Depending on your learning style, um, there are a lot of tutorials out there um, to kind of help teach. Some of these things aren't, I don't want to say they're not easy. They are easy, but you have to kind of learn how to do them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And there aren't many people who maybe just um, know how to do it uh, without any learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are web tutorials, there are all kinds of supports. In fact, our National Technical Assistance Center, the AIM Center, out of CAST, they have a lot of a lot of tutorials. Um, so that's one recommendation. The other, the other thing to think about is um, probably already have some kids in your classroom that already have this either documented on an IEP or on a 504. Make sure Let's start with them. Make sure they're getting what they need. Right. Right. Um, and the cool thing about that, about those students, is that there are other professionals supporting those students. So they might be a nice place to start with if you're needing some help getting started. Sure. Um, those special education um, uh, teachers or instructional coaches or um, some of your AEA consultants. Consultants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Learning consultants. AT consultants. Um, so that's kind of a place to get started. It can seem overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Don't stress yourself out. Can I put you on the spot for like one kind of practical example? And that is, I think the one that comes up most often or the one that we'll hear about most often is, so I have this text and it's either a paper textbook or it's, you know, I don't know, a piece of paper or something. How how do you make things? Give us some ideas for how to make that accessible. Yeah. Um I'm going to start with probably the easiest because it's what everybody goes to first. We have these really cool things called smartphones. Um, There are cameras Mm -hmm. embedded on those. Um, We're just going to steer clear of some of the um, legal things (laughs) regarding copyright. If you're a student with a disability being served on an IEP, um, your your IEP team has kind of worked through some of those things. But you you can take a a picture of a text um, and have it have it. run optical character recognition and get that text. That's not the way that we recommend, though, because it's not systemic or systematic. Um, Not every student has a smartphone. Not every teacher is going to take the time to pull their their camera out and then file the document and make sure that everybody has access to it. Um, Most of the time, that same document that a teacher is holding that teacher has it in a Word document or a Google Doc sitting somewhere in some folder. And so putting that in a place um, that's accessible to the student so they can just use their text reader or um, their screen reader 
that would be kind of the go-to. So trying to get it on the front end, again, mm-hmm. um, designing to the edges from, from the get-go so that we're not having to kind of retrofit and use those technologies to kind of back up the bus. Yeah. Um, just making sure that we've got everything we need from the beginning. And sometimes it's, I mean, you, you get into a routine where, I don't know, maybe you're always using the, the paper textbook, but you didn't know that your school also has access yeah. to a digital version. Yeah. Might be that online or on a, mine used to come on a CD. I don't think they come oh, on yeah. CDs anymore yeah, because I don't know how Still, I would so even like run our, that. But. Are most textbooks online now? Like if you purchase, like if your school district, district purchases a new textbook, are they mostly online or is that an additional cost? Or how do I... I have no question. idea. I think it have been part of that system, you know. So it does vary. So mm-hmm. um, often, what I found in my experience is that um, if you purchase um, some hard copy textbooks, then you, and you want to copy some digital textbooks as well, they're going to give you percentage off of of that cost. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not necessarily systemic either, right? Um, and it doesn't. Again, going back to that myth, just because the textbook is digital doesn't mean it's accessible. Mm -hmm. So that kind of goes back to our administrators and our leaders to say when they are purchasing textbooks, is your digital copy of your textbook textbook accessible? If I'm going to send my students to your your website or wherever the textbook is located, I need to make sure it's accessible. So that kind of goes back to those purchasing standards and making sure that those are being um, implemented as we're purchasing new content. Mm-hmm. The other thing to think about too, and this kind of blends in with another conversation I think you guys have had, is open educational resources. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we start thinking about using content that others have developed, um, making it our own, when we start to make it our own and use some accessibility guidelines and standards and put it back out there for others to use, um, that's kind of sharing the accessibility love too. So mm-hmm. that's another kind of yeah, sure. conversation about about content. Okay, so if we were interested in learning a little bit more and finding some people to follow online that uh, are steeped in this, apart from your good self, Maggie, who else uh, should we look at following? Yeah, so I'm just going to kind of send it back to our National Technical Assistance Center, the the AIM Center. Um, They are the gurus in all things accessible educational materials. So Cynthia Curry, she is a director of the AIM Center. She's at Twitter at um, CL Curry. Um, and Dr. Luis Perez. So um, Luis is the technical assistance uh, specialist at the AIM Center as well. He also um, is a member of the ISTE Professional Learning Network. Um, yeah, he was one of the ISTE keynotes at uh, Chicago when we were there, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So he um, works for National Technical Assistance Center, and he's at Eyes on AXS, um, and then our just follow the AIM Center in general. They're always putting out new learning. They're also putting out some quality standards. So, looking at um, our practice as educators and making sure that um, we've got ways to kind of measure how we're doing in the area of accessible educational materials and implementation. So, those are the folks that I would recommend. Um, a couple of chats to follow as well: um, AT Chat and UDL Chat. There are often conversations. Um, that kind of revolve around accessible educational materials and um, all things accessible in the classroom. So those are good things to kind of follow up on too. 
And Maggie, you are part of a podcast that talks a lot about this kind of thing too, aren't you? We want to mention your podcast. Uh, Friendly Disruption is a podcast um, that myself and two other educators um, in the state of Iowa kind of, we get on the horn and and talk about um, um, equity of access and accessibility in our classrooms and um, yeah, follow along. Where can people find you on Twitter? Um, Maggie P underscore AT. Awesome. Thanks, Maggie. Thank you. Up next, my favorite part of the show, Tech Nuggets. I'll go first. I think you should. I feel like your nuggets are better than mine today. Oh, okay. Well, my nuggets are probably the freshest. Oh, okay. Because they're hot off the press today. You're, you're fresh, all right. Okay, so, um, yes, I was not prepped at all before the podcast today, and Amber was sitting by me, and she's like, what What are you looking for? I'm like, oh, I need tech nuggets. And she's like, what about the 25 days of making, which was a great suggestion. So if you're not uh, familiar with Aaron Maurer, he um, is based out of Iowa. We love our Iowa people and does lots of things around making. You can find him. He's Coffee Chug Books. And he actually has asked um, some big name makers to share ideas of something for something called 25 Days of Making. And so each day he is releasing a new page on his website um, that shares different lesson plans or different ideas from different makers that may have a like a seasonal theme or maybe not. And our very own Amber Bridge will be featured on day 20 so check that out so this is amber this is currently running for the month of december yes it is so um i i'm guessing day one was december 1st i guess i um didn't watch it that closely to um see when it was actually released but that would make the most sense um so like day one is make your own techie ugly christmas sweater and so there's a little blog post there about um how to make your own ugly Christmas sweater. And um, this maker used uh, Makey Makey to create what is a really ugly Christmas sweater where you can roast your own marshmallows, although he's not really roasting them. But did you look at the picture? Yes. Super funny. (laughs) Yes. So anyway, um, if you're looking for some inspiration, and sometimes I feel like in December things get a little bit crazy because you're doing this and doing that, and maybe you – want to kind of work on a project that takes a little 10 minutes here and a little 10 minutes there and um, come together with some sort of product at the end, maybe this is the place that you look to um, get inspired and maybe boost your energy a little bit during December since as a teacher, I remember always being very tired during the month of December. So Sounds good. Okay. Okay, so my first nugget is a photo editor. Okay. We don't always do a whole lot of those. No. So there's one editor that I like to revisit at different times. I I will use it for a while, then I'll go back and use something else. But I always find myself coming back to it or recommending it or showing it to people. Mm-hmm. And that is Pixlr. Okay. It's an online uh, tool, P-I-X-L-R.com. So their first tool that they came out with was something that was kind of similar to Photoshop. Mm-hmm. It had a lot of the same kind of tools and menus and you could do layers and, and things like that. So people like that, it was an online free version. You didn't have to log in or use anything. Mm-hmm. 
And they followed that up with another one called Pixlr Express, which was kind of like a simplified version of that interface where it was more user-friendly or people that didn't need all the different tools and power that those Photoshop-like editing applications will give you. And they have just come out with a new one in November. So oh. I like it a lot. It's called Pixlr X. Okay. And I feel like lots of things are getting X on the end of them these days, oh, like yeah. iPhones and it's all extreme. other stuff. It must be. Um, and there's a few things I like about this. So I guess the biggest comparison I could give you, what is this photo editor like? If you've ever used Lightroom, which is an Adobe platform, um, then it is similar to that. Basically, you have your photo on the main window. And if you're using this on a, on the web, you get all your tools down the right-hand side or something. And they're just sliders that you can move up mm-hmm. and down. Very simple, very easy to use. There's nothing too complicated uh, with brushes or anything else like that. Um, but what's good is the left behind flash, which the old Pixlr websites needed. So this one works on the web and on tablets and on phones from one website. You do not need a login in order to use it, which is fun. And it's just got all the nice kind of adjustments and filters and text and things like that that you might want to do. So if you like photo editing and you want to give something you a try i would go to pixlr.com forward slash x (laughs) forward slash x and i'm presuming it's x and not 10 it's not pixlr 10 yeah i would agree yeah so it is kind of fun to just like click on stuff and see what happens so are you saying that because i was playing i was only half listening Mm -hmm. so i'm just gonna so if i use the app instead you know this is one thing that i because i don't have an updated or like a newer iPhone, I sometimes want to blur the background. Mm-hmm. Can you do that with us? I have not seen mm. the ability to do that in only this one. The only place I can find to do that is actually in Instagram, and then you have to post it to actually get that image, which I don't like. But hmm. if you find something like that, will you share that next time instead? That'll be my next nugget. <laughs> okay, so my um, next tech nugget is probably not even tech at all and it's um strawbies do you know what strawbies are i have a very rudimentary understanding of what strawbies are so strawbies are uh a set of straws yeah and uh like these connectors that are made the connectors are like punched out of like a plastic sheet like a heavier plastic sheet and then the connectors themselves have like pegs, I would say, that come out of them that fit into a straw so that you can connect straws. And then they're very bendable because they're made out of plastic. I feel like this is a hard thing to describe on a podcast. It is kind of. Yeah. Uh, so you can buy a set of strawbies just with the straws and the connectors punched out. There's also a coding and robotics kit that hooks up to a quirk bot, which is their, you know, their thing, like their little servo motor. And um, so you can make your strawbies movable of sorts, Uh which is kind of interesting. Uh, The other thing that I think a lot of people probably don't know is that here at Grantwood AA, we have a die cut that we've purchased where you can make your own strawby sets because we also have the plastic sheets and you can just use the die cut and punch those out and they're like 50 cents for a plastic sheet oh okay 
So you could make them for much cheaper than you could buy them. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you could probably even order them and they would make you make them for you here. You'd have to pay like a little bit of a fee for man hours that it takes to create them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that I did not know about until just recently is that Strawbees actually has two different apps. One of them is called Creatables. Strawbees Creatables, and that actually you can also access online. Um, and I'll put a link here for that because it's kind of it's not like to kind of know where it is. Um, and then there's also just the Strawbees app, which both of them provide and in, like inspiration of how to use the Strawbees. So I think when you start using Strawbees, it can be kind of hard to. Um, envision how those connectors can work together. It's easy just to stick two straws together, but um, those connectors can work together to allow different things. Uh, And those apps kind of help you see how to use those things. So sometimes when you're making, it's important to know how to use the materials too, to see their Mm -hmm. potential. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's also kind of a, a gallery and a challenge, and then you can take a picture of what you've created and add it to the gallery for others to see. So a little online community as well. So I'm looking at the website here yeah. and there's a screenshot cycling through for the quick bot and you can code it. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, I just said that. Okay. I'm going to just With delete that motor. part. <laughs> I don't remember you saying you can code it. <laughs> I don't know that I said you can code it. So okay. there is um, a special software you have to use for a quick bot. Quick bot? Is it quick bot or quirk bot? Quirk bot. Quirk? Say it again. Quirk bot. Quirk bot. Um, so there's special, It's but it's just a drag and drop. It's not, it's, you know, block coding. Um, but you have to use their specific software, of course, for um, the coding. But yeah, it has like a little servo motor. So you can make, like the first thing I made was um, a pinwheel. So, you know, my straws were spinning around in a circle with a servo motor. And yeah. You're a crafty, creative person, Mindy Carney. Well, I don't know about that, but um, I am. You're right. I am. Just go with it. Yep, sure. On it. Yeah. Okay, so speaking of coding then. Yes. um, My last pick is Solo Learn. Okay. Which I hadn't come across before, but after our last episode um, on computer science and coding with Corey Rogers, um, I decided to do my hour of code. You did. And I wasn't going to make it like a big deal out of it or anything, but so I was looking for somewhere to find that I could do an hour of code because yeah. I'm not just going to sit down and do something, I guess. I wanted some more tutorial-based yeah. things. And so I came across this app called Solo Learn, mm-hmm. uh, which I have since learned is available on the web or as a mobile app for yeah. iOS and Android. Yeah. So you can go to sololearn.com and learn more. You can learn to code for free. They have all kinds of different um, languages that you can dabble in, whether mm-hmm. it's C++ or Python 3 or JavaScript or PHP or Swift or Ruby. I'm just reading through a whole bunch of things. I started on the HTML fundamentals. Oh. And they also have this thing called a code playground, which I think is kind of interesting. If you go to the code playground, you can see projects that other people have posted and created. Oh. And so you click on it, you'll see the code, and you click run, and it shows you what it does. And it's a kind of an editable code editor mm-hmm. that you can go in and you can change some of the code and see how that affects the completed project. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. If you are thinking uh, that 
CS Week thing just blew right past me, and mm-hmm. I had no I I meant to do an hour of code, but I never got my hour of code in. Go and take a look at the nice people over at Solo Learn. I don't even think you can give them money if you wanted to, oh, because nice. everything that I can find is free. Interestingly enough, I just came across Solo Learn myself, and I have the Learn Python app on my phone. Uh huh. Because my goal is to learn Python before I turn forty. Okay. You've got years and years. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Um, but I haven't even logged into it yet. But I saw it and I was like, oh, you know, this is what I need. I need like step-by-step tutorials of, and I'm like, oh, I could have it on my phone. And just instead of doing words with friends, I yeah. could be writing Python. That's how I started with the HTML one. There's an yeah. HTML app. Yeah. But after a while, it prompted me to go and get like a different solo learn app. No. They've oh. got like one app that's got like all advanced. the courses in it. No, I think uh-huh. maybe they're just trying to it's push like you over to a different app. I they see. started with some individual apps. I got then, it. So anyway, so a hefty app if all of them are in one place. Maybe. Hmm. I think it's like you connect to the internet and it's almost kind of like a oh. web interface sure. or something. Got it. Yeah. Well, let us know. I'm going to keep asking. So how's it going with HTML? Mm-hmm. Is this something you're keeping up, or did you just do your hour? So far, I just I did my hour. Yeah. But it's still on my iPad, so I feel like if I put it on the front page somewhere, I'm going to yeah. see it, and I'm going to yeah. go, oh, I should go I've back in like there. 15 minutes. I could do pop yeah. through or something. Yeah. Yeah, dial back the Netflix a bit. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh. So that's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're done. Okay. So I'm at Team Carney on Twitter, and Jonathan is at Jonathan Wiley. Our team account is at DLGWAA, and you can use our hashtag EdTechTakeout to take the show. If you prefer, you can send us an email to podcast at GWAEA.org. This is the last time you will hear us in 2018, Yeah, but we will be back in 2019. We sure will. If we ever get around to scheduling something. Yes, we should today. Okay, we can do that today. All right. Until next time. This has been the EdTechTakeout. We hope it hit the spot. For more information on today's episode, please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast.